adventurer? Having trouble finding a party? Fear not. Our patented methods can help you find the group of your dreams. <coughs> this episode, Robert and I discuss four alternative methods of playing D&D. We go through the good and the bad of each, and of course we talk about our opinions and our experiences, because that's kind of how this podcast goes. But before we start, I'd like to ask a favor of our listeners. We would love to expand our audience. To do that, we need your help. Right now, the best way you can help is to rate us on iTunes. The more five-star reviews we have, the higher our ranking. So if you have two minutes, please uh, leave a review and uh, you will have done us quite the solid. Now, on with the show. Uh, this is Robert Sherman. Oh, and this is Eric Dewhurst. And today we're going to talk about alternative methods of play for Dungeons and Dragons or whatever game type that you prefer to play. Before we get into the alternative methods, we should talk about what's standard. And I guess standard is kind of subjective, but the typical game of D&D involves a bunch of people, let's say four or five people sitting down at a table. You've got one DM, you've got a bunch of players. That's... And given the technology available today, perhaps we should say the traditional. Sure. Yeah, traditional. I'm not even sure what, what is standard anymore, <laughs> right? Because um, a lot yeah. of people play online. So They do. When I think about D&D, I think about sitting around a table with a bunch of paper out. So do I. And I think that's my preferred method of play. And I'm not sure if it's because it's what I know or if it's what I truly enjoy. Or if it's what I have associated the most nostalgia with, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because that's how I learned. And I prefer it face-to-face because people are just more interactive when they're they're in person rather than over a computer or on a phone or whatever the alternative is. I I think it's much more personal. It's, It's definitely more intimate. And I think that that can have a different effect depending on who you're playing with. So, like, for me, yeah. like, we've talked before how you are really good at voices and I don't <laughs> do voices. I've done them a couple times in the past. I have to be super comfortable with the people I'm playing with, but I have done them. Um, and that's that keys into some of the social anxiety that I've got. Some people are going to have a harder time being more outgoing when they're face-to-face as opposed to online. And some people are going to be more outgoing when they are face-to-face. That's true. And that may just be the nature of introverts versus extroverts or just some people versus other people. And I think that even then, it could have it could shift. For me, being an introvert, I am very quiet with a group until I get to know them. So as I, the more mm-hmm. I get to know them face-to-face, the more outgoing I become. Whereas online, I might be more outgoing out from the, from the beginning, but I feel like that would probably, it would just plateau. It wouldn't right. increase as time went by. Hmm. Because you're not face-to-face, you're not getting to know them more, you're not yeah, learning yeah. to read somebody's social or, or, or physical cues or body language, you know, not sure where the hell we're going with that, but yeah. <laughs> well, just establishing what's... The traditional type, yeah. Yeah, traditional type of play. My inclination is that even the term traditional is, is not going to become applicable to that pretty soon because so many more people are playing and it will almost become archaic or obsolete. Old school that, traditional. Yeah, almost eccentric. 
Um, I hope not. Because I hope not too. I, but for me, like learning to play Dungeons and Dragons, I was a kid. It's like twelve years old, and especially when I was twelve. Oh man, I sound old. When I was twelve, like without you know smartphones and all that, you just played. And yeah. during recess, during yeah. lunch, you know, during the summer, you know, three months off, you played. You you went out and you played. You you went to a treehouse or you went to the pool in the summer, you know. But you physically went out and you played. Oh right. Or you you went insane from boredom because there was nothing <laughs> else to do. So it made sense. And because there weren't that many more options for that specific type of play. You, you were face-to-face, right? There's so many options now about what you can and can't um, do, stuff like that. Like you, you have logistically way more options for getting a group together. But as you get older, and like I said, this is something we faced before, it becomes way more difficult to coordinate schedules for six adults as for six kids. When I was 12, you want to play D&D? Sure. Why? I have nothing else to do. <laughs> whatever whatever I do, you know, if you had a couple of friends, you were probably going to be doing it together because what the hell else would you do, right? These days, you and I just trying to figure out a time that we can record this or we can <laughs> much less get another four people roped into playing. Oh, yeah. It's a it's hard to, to get that, you know, coordinated. Which I think that's a good segue into kind of why you would have these alternative methods of play. It's a big part of the attraction because it eliminates a lot of those barriers, right? The, the scheduling, the uh, trying to get everybody in the same spot at the same time. Do you want to just high level go through them or do you want yeah, to yeah. go deep into no, each let's, one? Let's do a run through and then we can start to, okay. to dig into them one by one. So the first one that we talked about when we were, we were discussing this topic was play by mail or play by email, which was pretty popular when I was a teenager as an alternative method, if not one of the almost only alternative methods. You might live in a place that didn't have a lot of players. You might live in a place where there just wasn't a lot of people who were in the same age group, or you might live in a place where there just weren't a lot of people, right? Depending on yeah. your actual physical location. I lived so, in... Uh, I'm going to hijack you for a second but i lived in a a small town in new zealand for a year and i remember uh through whatever means i saw somebody's printout of a play-by-mail D&D game i knew everybody who could play D&D in that town and it was like probably eight to twelve people so it totally made sense that some of those people you might not want to hang out with some of those people might not be your friends so play-by-mail was probably the only thing for for a number of people in that town and i remember seeing ads for for play my mail campaigns in the back <laughs> of dragon you know you know it, it was a, it was enough demand for it because there was a need for it that right there are people who wanted to play and just didn't have people that you could play with right when i was a kid i had friends that weren't allowed to play right so you know that kind of factored into it as well there were there were a lot of different kind of dimensions to you just might Find yourself in a position where you couldn't get four people together to play D anD. d Yeah, and play by mail or play by email a little bit later was, was a way to circumvent that. Another one that we talked about was the flex group, and we've actually discussed this in previous episodes. I thought I was being some sort of a genius when I started running a flex group here at Smarsh. I was just like, I want people to play. I don't care who shows up. I'll make the 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 narrative makes sense somehow so that I can get people to play regularly. And it was like every Friday, uh, people had the option to come in and anybody could show up. Nobody had to stick around 
week to week. And it worked. It was actually very popular. At one point, you had to... Um, At multiple points, I had to turn people away. You had to say, listen, I, I need to know... You need to RSVP within yeah. three days in advance. And <laughs> once we hit the limit, I'm going to you know, email out to the list and you'll, yeah. I'll tell you, hey, we're cut off at this point. I don't know if you to this day appreciate all the extra work that you had to do for that. I do on the <laughs> sidelines because I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if the other players did, but to this day, I'm just kind of like, man, Eric had to do a lot of extra stuff and, yeah. and kind of put up with a lot of prepping for things that might or might not happen depending on who showed yeah. up and who didn't. I yeah. mean, it was, it was impressive. And I want you to know I appreciate it. I don't know if I've told you that or not. It, Thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. You're, you're welcome and not just you're like, I'm not just reacting. You're welcome. But I was happy to do that because that was the fun of it for me was the fact mm-hmm. that it was fun to be able to stand up in front of a number of people who I would I didn't know who was going to show up and have to, on the spur of the moment, make up half of what we were going to play. After like five or six sessions, I realized half of what I wrote was going out the window unless I was really structured about how I presented the uh, problems of that particular uh, day's campaign. So it was it was fun to me to be able to have that that Good. craziness as a part of the game. You did an excellent job of making it fun for us, too, um, which is which is awesome. So, so thank you. And we don't want to get too deep into them now because we're going to revisit the topics okay, one right, by one. Right, right, right. The next one is is organized play, which I think a lot of people are going to be familiar with. Um, Adventure League. Uh, what was it for Pathfinder? Uh, Pathfinder Society. Okay, uh, used to be the RPGA. Right. For first through third edition, I believe. And that is pretty much the same as a flex group, except it's officially organized by some company, either Wizards or Paizo or yeah. whoever. There are events, and then you also report kind of yeah. report results back up, and then it kind of get. It's much more structured because yeah. the idea is even with a flex group, it is more known, right? Everybody yeah. knows each other. Like There's I was inviting a selective. It, it was right. people who worked at the company that we both work at. Whereas Adventure League or any sort of organized play is anybody off the street can show up. And, and not just uh, you might get different people in your game, but those people will then go to other different games. And the other games, the other DM might not know what happened. So you have to have a, a system of documenting what happened that you can, so yeah. you can bring it in and keep things fair and balanced. Right. So a lot of kind of a lot of paperwork involved there. Still fun. Still great. Um, it's a, definitely an alternative method. It's it's structured very similar to how I did the flex group in so much as every night that you play an organized play, it's going to be a start start to finish full story, and then you're and you're done at the end. That's not the case when you have your traditional sort of right. game. And so our last kind of variant we've got here is virtual tabletop. Of all of these, this is, I think, the newest one, and it's definitely the one I think is taken off the most for people who mm-hmm. like to play and, and people who are in the community and all of that. It's definitely getting the most attention because it's it's able to have the largest audience. You can, by its very nature, stream it out to any number of people. Anybody who wants to watch, yeah. you can advertise, send out links. 
and think, then uh, watch you play on Twitch, YouTube, whatever. I think I don't know what uh, Dice Camera Action uses, but it is a virtual tabletop. Is it really? I think I think it. Oh, I could be wrong. Critical Role is a bunch of people sitting around with cameras. I don't know if you and them. I have talked about Dice Camera Action before what? now. Really? Yeah. Oh, maybe not. Because that's one of my favorites, but I, I don't think we've talked about it. We've talked about... I started watching it a while back. Acquisition Incorporated, and we yeah. talked about Critical Role. Both of those are people at a table mm-hmm. that just happen to have either mics or cameras on them. I'll have to revisit that. Okay. I can't remember if I can't Dice Camera Action... Dice Camera Action, I, it's always streamed on Twitch, and it's people in different locations with Chris well, Perkins one in the main person location. In, I, one person in that works... For Twitch. Oh, okay. So okay. There's, there's a, I think there's a relationship there. Okay. So anyway, now we're going to get into... Kind of dig in a little bit to each method. Yeah. Um, and specifically what we're looking at are the pros and cons. Why is... What about this would make it attractive that you would, you would pursue this as a method of play as opposed to that traditional method? And then what are some of the downsides, right? Yeah. So for play-by-mail... Play-by-mail. Um, I'll do the, the announcer voice for each one. Excellent. Um, <laughs> Some of the advantages, and we'll just kind of go back and forth, you can be in any location. So you're not bound to a physical location, which is nice, right? And it's like any time that you're available. Like yeah. there's there's no no time bound. Yes. So there's, it, it's, I think that's really, it's the only one in this list where not only do you not all have to be the same place, but you don't all have to play at the same time. Yeah. You're not, I guess you're not time bound. You're not, you don't have to coordinate your schedules, not just your physical location, but you don't have to coordinate your schedules. Yeah. Which I don't know. Well, directly it's, it's great for maybe you might be in different time zones. Um, You might have something going on where uh, like Savannah and I had a, like a year plus stretch where she worked nights and I worked days. Oh, right. Right. So there, there might be multiple situations going on where just everybody playing at the same time isn't really feasible and this allows for that but it also directly leads into some of the disadvantages yeah i don't it 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 leaves a bad taste in my mouth because i've played some play-by-mail things like i've done chess uh really slow chess that's the first example that comes to mind for me and it it's there's still a little bit of excitement there. Like you're you're waiting for the other person to to play, send their move, and be like, "Oh, I know, I have I have this whole big strategy figured out." But it's painful to wait around for all that. It's just so painfully slow. <clears throat> um, yeah, and that's the first disadvantage, right? Is that it's slow? And the reason it's slow is, is because there's that extended feedback loop. You don't have somebody else at the table to, to yeah. bounce off of, you know, and react to what you do. You have to wait for them to compile their response. So while they get plenty of time to compile their response, at the same time, they have plenty of time to compile their response, right? And it, or compose, I should say. Yeah. It, it, for me, it also it feels like it's going to be it, – it takes away all of the verisimilitude. I can't believe in a world – where somebody's going to figure out their attack move over the span of a 12-hour, like, over the span of 12 hours. That's that's ridiculous. It also makes everything very calculated because you're not reacting to it. Like, oh, I've got to make a decision. Like, oh, I have a decision to make. Let me craft 
what I'm going to do and think about all different possibilities. I don't have 12 people who just ran out of, you know, Doritos and now they want things to move <laughs> along. You know, it's, I don't have that pressure going, um, which is a, 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 a pro and a con for me because uh. what it, it's another thing is it's very impersonal because it's all text it makes it very difficult to convey tone. But because you have that time, if if you're somebody who's good at conveying things in, let's say, an email or via, you know, just via the written word, then you're going to do well for that. And the people who oh, play fair. with you are going to benefit from that. And it will work or it won't work, right? But one of the things about this that's very unique to me is, and I've, I've seen this in the past, and I used to enjoy it quite a bit, is that when you play... When you're done, or you know, when you're done with the session, all that. By the very nature of the way it works, you have a an all done record of what you did. Oh, so you can go back and you can read through it like you're reading a book, right? Oh. You might go back and make notes for your you know your face to face session, and then you get a couple things wrong, or you just kind of do some abbreviated notes. But with a, a play by mail or play by email. As you're going, you're creating this story that you can then go back to. And I've gone back to archives of other games I wasn't even involved in and just enjoyed reading them. And when people do it well, it's it's very enjoyable. Hmm. Super easy to do badly. <laughs> yeah, right? I can imagine. Um, but it's probably the same for all of these methods. If I was DMing a game by mail, I'm sure it would go horribly because I would be so bored by it. <laughs> you, you want to be patient. And a lot of these I've seen, it, it's one of those things where people have two or three of them going at the same time so that while you're waiting on one you're doing another one you know um feels very 1988 it does very old feeling (laughs) but then done well in my mind D&D should feel very 1988 (laughs) even if you're not doing this method and I think it can feel I think it can feel modern oh I agree I agree and I prefer it to feel a little more modern um Definitely something, an acquired taste uh, that most people won't want to pursue unless they're in a situation where they're kind of forced to. Uh, but definitely a, a great method for a situation where otherwise you'd, you might not have the option to play. Right. So almost uh, a break glass in case of emergency kind of play style. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next, we have the, the flex group. Flex group. Which you should probably talk about more than I should because uh, that was what you started. Yeah. Well, and I can only really talk about the flex group from the DMS point of view. Um, I, I, so I learned that I didn't, I didn't invent something new. This is something that other people do plenty. Um, I think it's Jacob that works with us. He used to run a flex. No, it wasn't Jacob. Somebody, somebody that works with us has also been a DM for a flex group where he had a group of like 15 friends and, uh, any Friday or Saturday, they would get together and whoever showed up showed up. And uh, anyway, so I mean that's that's the base concept of flex group. And I didn't make it up. I'm sure lots of people have invented it. Um, but I mean the, the the big thing is you can do it regularly so long as you have at least I don't know. I think the minimum I played with was three players. I don't think I would want to play with less, really, because if there's a continuing story, it kind of feels odd to have. Well, I, you could you could make it happen. You could be like, let's do a little side quest just for these people, 
because they're dedicated to, you know, these two people showed up to the game. Great. Good for you. Let's give you guys some, like, magic weapons or some shit because everybody else sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's a bad idea to reward that kind of consistency depending on how you're trying to to manage that group. Yeah. I think there's a, a, a vast array of ways that you could that you could run a group like that. I'm a big fan of the way that you did it. Um, but it does carry some parameters with it. You, you, almost by definition, you're going to have a campaign that feels like... Um, Episodes. A, an episodical <laughs> yeah. TV show as opposed to a TV show that has arcs going throughout the season, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I tried to put arcs throughout it. You did. But that became difficult for people because they would show up for a game and they'd be like, wait, what's happening? Oh, well, this guy just died and this other person is trying to get this other thing and somebody's got to sit down and explain what's going on. And I, what I did as a way to try to fix that was I would make a YouTube video after every mm-hmm. session explaining the last session. So if you hadn't shown up, just watch the like 20 minute YouTube video. I'd explain everything that had happened last time and we could and I thought that all be really on the same well. page. I think probably the, the biggest, um, I don't know, the best word would be friction or obstacle that it created was that in game, the narrative, it made it very difficult to kind of carry the ball forward as far as like sometimes every game. Our, our characters had to kind of refigure out what their motivation was for moving forward. <laughs> and there were a couple games a where bit. we got that wrong, I think. Yes, there um, were. And, and we started going in the wrong direction. Yes, there um, were. <laughs> I, you know, we probably did a better job watching your videos. I don't know. But I, I, but I, th- I think that's part of the job of any DM, whether or not it's uh, an alternative play or not the DMs eventually going to come into a situation where the players are like lost and don't quite know what their motivation are motivations are or their motivation mm-hmm. is. And so I see it as my job as a DM to, to hopefully subtly remind the players of that rather than just coming out and saying, okay, everybody, if you don't remember this NPC back there told you to go do this. Like if I have to do that, then I'm, I feel like I've failed as a DM. Ideally I could just be like, Oh, well one of you pulls out this piece of paper that um, reminds you of a thing and be subtly give hints about what's going on. Uh, And I did have to do that a couple times. And the reason that happens is not just because, uh, the the reason that happens more in a flex group is because people are less committed, which is good and bad. Like you don't have to be committed to the game. You could show up whenever you want mm-hmm. to show up. Um, you don't have to watch the video. I can explain what's going on. And ideally, in the, in this format, you show up and you have fun. That's it. So it can feel a little less cohesive mm-hmm. by the very nature of swapping players out. But if we look back, that is the most consistent long running game <laughs> we've ever had. Right. It's true. Because, uh, 10 sessions rather than every other game I've played has been about six sessions, but we never had like a, an extended period where we didn't play or something like that. No. We, we played, you know, Weekly. on schedule. Yeah. Not every week, over but and over and over. Yeah. Again. 
Um, and the only time we ever had a delay I, was when you had to do I something. I went to or, England. Yeah, and you, you pushed it back a week or something like that. Yeah. But we never had to reschedule because, you know, one player couldn't make it or right. something like that. We we were always able to move forward. Yeah. Which very quickly uh, becomes difficult with a, a more traditional group structure. Yeah. Uh, the next being organized play. Organized play. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it is face-to-face, right, which gives it that traditional feel. Uh, you don't need to find players, which is great. It's kind of provided for you. You, you kind of show up. If you're not wearing in the game, you have almost no prep to do. Uh, it's, a, it's a great kind of a pickup group. Yeah. It's also a pickup group. Yeah. It's – oh, God. It's, it's good, but it's bad. It's like you get exp- – Exposed to different DMs and different players' styles, which is great. Like being able to see somebody's great idea for a character and a completely different person's ideas for characters and how to play every week, that's cool. Um, but having to deal with people who like just don't jive with your style of play yes. can be very grating very fast. So you have the advantage of being able to just kind of walk in and play. And I think in my experience, it's a great way to learn sometimes if you're going to it. And I've seen some places, I think Rainy Day Games does it, where they'll have organized play and they'll be like, okay, if you haven't played before, we'll just do a group of people haven't played. And then we'll walk you through it, right? Yeah. And I think it's a a great way to play because you're playing with people who also haven't don't have a lot of experience. Right. It's always a little weird when you're the one person who doesn't know all the rules <laughs> and the whole yeah. table explains it to you. Yeah. And then you start to, oh man, I don't want to ask questions because then the whole thing has to stop. But when everybody's asking like very basic questions, it gives you this kind of feeling of like, oh great, we're all here to learn. I can ask these questions. I'm not the only person who's not how to do this. We all are learning this and it, it, it makes it feel a lot more safe to, to ask those questions. Um, at the same time, it's Wizards does a great job of having this overarching continuity in the organized play. Um, they'll have like storylines, and then they'll they'll release stuff for that that match that and, and key off of each other, right? And so does uh, so does Paizo with Do their, their Pathfinder Society. I haven't done Pathfinder Society, I've, so I I've just done sure. one game, but it was very obvious talking to people that they do the, the uh, tying backstories. And having read some of those modules for for Watsi, like you, they do drop things and like here's what happened if if they've played it, then you can use this. If they haven't played it, then that. Mm-hmm. But there is still this kind of jarring feeling of you you've stopped and you've picked it up, almost like a TV series where they recast a bunch of characters with different actors, <laughs> right? Right. And it just feels different. Yeah. So here's like I have this uh, analog in my head for organized play, which is, uh, it's a musical analog. So I, I, okay. I play music, so this works for me. When you go to organized play, it's just like going to an open mic night and having a jam session with all those musicians. Some of the musicians are going to be like in their first year of learning their instrument. Some of them are going to be professionals who are just taking a night off and want to mess around. And you're going to get just a mess of but sometimes that mess is going to be a beautiful mess mm-hmm. whereas when you play with a normal 
group, you get to know the rhythms. Yes. The the way that people play off of one another. And you get to pick your players or who right. you play with and an organized play every once in a while. You, can, you, you might have a jam session where somebody's just a jerk. Right. Right? There's that one guy who wants to play the guitar solo louder and over the top of everybody. But I think one of the, the, the biggest pluses for organized play is that you're meeting all these people and you you get you can get to know them if you want to and then you can incorporate them into your regular group. That's true. Right? You might meet somebody who's amazing. <clears throat> Met many people at these kinds of events who are fantastic um, players and they're great or they're fantastic you know, uh, DMs and all that. You, you don't have it doesn't have to be you only see them at organized play yeah you, you can meet new people outside of the game it's it's a great way to meet people who share your interest i think the second organized play thing i ever went to maybe the third uh people were like talking about oh we want to we want to get a game together you want to you want to join our game we're going to do a regular thing and exactly yeah it, I suspect that happens rather frequently at organized plays and and if you, you didn't have fun playing with them all right, you show up next week and play right. somebody else. Right. Not a big deal. Exactly. Because, um, you know, D&D players are, are like everybody else on, on the planet. It's, it's all kinds, right? <laughs> some people want to do voices. Some people don't. Some people yep. uh, talk with their hands a lot. I do. Sometimes, sometimes I don't. But you know, just every possible type of person you can think of, you're going to encounter when you play D&D. Um, and, and some of them you're going to like playing with and some of them you're just not. <laughs> Yeah. Some of them might eat Cheetos and, and get weird crumbly stuff all over <laughs> your your dice and your minis and and you never want to play with them again. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I could think it's a lot of people who might trigger my OCD that I'd be like, no, don't don't touch my my figures. And so I'm I'm odd. That's okay. <laughs> um, Is it okay? Yeah, I'm working on it. What can I say? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to improve myself. <laughs> I'm unreasonable sometimes. I I recognize that. Uh, virtual tabletop. Virtual tabletop. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, pretty recent. I want to say the war- the first one that I saw was Fantasy Grounds way back when. And the Fantasy Grounds that we have now is actually Fantasy Grounds 2, I think. Um, so oh, that's it's right. gone through some iterations. But, like, it's it's fairly new. With, you know, Fantasy Grounds, Roll20. There's some other things out there. But it's everywhere. Um, you, it's, you see on Twitch, on yeah. YouTube. I actually know somebody who works at Roll20. That's right, yeah. Um, not that that contributes to it being everywhere. It just happens to be that I know somebody who works at Roll20. Well, I, I see it everywhere. Um, oh, yeah. And we've dabbled with Roll20 a little bit. Yeah, it was like a year ago, I think. We were mm-hmm. like, hey, we're going to run a game through Roll20. And uh, it kind of fell through. Yeah. Well, well you, you were going to run it. Let's talk about some of the advantages. It's it's quick. There's absolutely no physical meeting space required for everybody. It's true. If the DM is prepped, it's yes. quick. The players just like log in and start going. Um, and there's no commute, so you don't have to, to get somewhere. Yeah. You just you get home. For somebody like me, that's key because I get home, I need a nap like right away. I need at least a 30-minute nap, and then I can get up and, and you know socialize. But first, I'm... I'm grumpy and I just want to get my 30 minute nap in. So, um, so when you come over to my place, you want to nap immediately? Well, I come to your place in the well. First of all, I come to your place in the morning, unless I'm that, like, that your definition of morning. My definition of morning. <laughs> and second of all, yes, I definitely want to nap. So. <laughs> well, we have a giant new couch now. Right. You can lay down on it, and like four other people can sit on it. It's <laughs> huge. 
Um, but one of the one of the disadvantages for it is the learning curve. You can't just go into it new and, and know how to, to do it. And some of them are a lot more involved than others. But once you learn them, I, I've seen them that they facilitate play really well. But like like you said, I was going to run one so we can get used to it, and I just kind of sat there and started playing with the tools and. It felt like there's gonna be a lot I just have to plug in before we can get started, and before yeah. we plug it in, I have to learn how to do that. But which I mean, is okay. We talked about. I think we talked about. Uh, didn't we have we had an episode where we talked about um, online play systems? I think we touched on them. Just bri- uh, maybe briefly. Uh, no, it was um, uh, Chris Rutledge and I talked about. Uh, uh, we talked about character generation ah. in Roll Twenty and and those other things. We also talked about content, third party content. Uh, we talked about some of this in the D and D Beyond stuff too. Yeah, because yeah. you can purchase in theory a preset campaign mm-hmm. and just plug it in and and go. So ideally, instead of being a DM that has to like me, I have to build things. I want to do. I want to modify my campaign from if if I'm going to run it out of a book, I'm going to try to change it as much as possible. I'm not sure I ever want to run a campaign out of a book, though. <laughs> That's fair. I did it once. I'm not sure I'm going to do it again. Um, I think one of the biggest things about the virtual tabletop is you, you get out of it what you put into it. Well, yeah. Um, but and I sometimes have, you put in money. <laughs> and sometimes you put in money. Sometimes you put in time. Yeah. But I've watched a lot of virtual tabletop on Fantasy Grounds Roll20 where it, I don't know how much work they put into it, but it seemed seamless to me. Hmm. And it was very enjoyable. And and so I, I've seen that it's absolutely doable. I just need to learn how to do that for our purposes. What was, there's another system, uh, was a system that was just demoed like a month ago. There was a, there was a, a playthrough of... Uh, Matt Mercer, oh, with uh, a bunch of Twitch that's, streamers. Uh, Pillars of Eternity Two, I okay. think. Um, and it's a 3D system. I'm thinking of the wrong game. I might be thinking of the wrong game. I don't know. It's a, but it's a computer game. Yeah, it's a computer game. But it, they've built a DM sys, DM and player system. And you can customize content. Yeah, and, and do things like that. And they they had that previously. Most recently was Sword Coast Adventures. I oh, think that's it cool. Was. That's cool. Where they did that, and Christopher Perkins had a couple of YouTube videos where he would do some adventures that he put yeah. together and run people through it. For me, um, back in 2002, I think it was, Neverwhere Nights. Right. That's always going to be the gold standard for me. That was amazing. <laughs> I mean, that was isometric, top isometric, down. Isometric. Which I love isometric, personally. Almost completely mirrored the three uh, third edition rules. Oh, um, right. And you could actually turn in the chat window, you could turn it on so you could see the roles that were happening. Oh, and nice. It, it, would just, it was almost an overlay of the tabletop experience. Like it would show you your mm. role plus the different bonuses you had. and then Which Roll20 does, and I assume Fantasy Grounds mm-hmm. does as well. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, all of these systems are built around trying to make the mechanical elements of playing D&D simple so that you can get to the content. And to facilitate play if you can, for whatever reason you can't meet face-to-face. Right. Which is, is just more and more common that you, you might not be able to meet your players you know, at a table in right. the same room. But 
well, I mean, we didn't actually play that Roll20 game that you started prepping because it just took too much well, time and effort. Well, I don't know if it took it. too much time and effort so much as um, I started digging into it. And then I started seeing some of the tools available, and I had a I have a very much so kind of ooh something shiny mindset. And then I would just I would play with one of those tools for hours, and I'm like, oh, okay. I, I got nothing done. It was more a product of me than it was the. So, the tools so I, I have to do it. You're telling I'm me that I have, have to be it. the one that, that makes this happen. I have to be more disciplined. <laughs> okay. Which is a theme that we keep coming back to. Robert needing to be more disciplined yeah. about doing things. Yeah. Um. But, but yeah, the point being that there are other ways to play D anD D. If you, yeah, you, you can't do the traditional way, that's fine. Actually, after talking about this, I'm a little more interested in trying out one of the uh, online versions. I am significantly less interested in trying out play by mail. <laughs> uh, you, you seem so excited about that one. <laughs> no, though. God. Uh, and the organized play, I will. I'm, I'm sure I'll do it again. But it's like. You got to be in the right mindset, or you got to have the right set of circumstances. In my experience, organized play can be significantly more fun if you go with a couple friends. Right, and that's the last time I went. I went with uh, Chris Rutledge, mm-hmm. and he knew some of the people that we were going to play with, so it was it was great. It just feels like it gives you some familiarity with the other players, but at the same time, with like no commitment of oh, you know, we're going to meet every week or something like that. It's just it's just fun. Yeah. It's a, it's a great time. And you still get to meet new people and stuff like that. So have we, have we beat this to death? Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Next episode, we're starting a new series called Knowledge, History, D&D. This series will chronicle the history of Dungeons & Dragons from the beginning of time to today. As always, if you have suggestions for future episodes, reach out to us on Twitter at Dungeon underscore Tangent. Or go to our website, dungeonsandtangents.net. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us.